but it's good to see everyone um, this morning. Looking forward to studying this passage uh, with you. Like I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, so I hope that you've already, um, you've already turned there. Uh, as we, we started out this morning in our service, you, you know we kind of have a, a way that we do things. We have a, a rhythm, a pace by which we, we do things. And one of the things that we do is we start off by reading um, from the Bible. Uh, the Bible tells us that as you gather, read the Bible to each other and with each other. Don't neglect the reading of the, the Word of God um, uh, together. And so we started off this morning reading from Ezekiel 34. Uh, verses 1 through 16. Now, to put in context a little bit of chapter 34 and where that came from um, this morning is that it's a, it's a prophecy from God to his prophet uh, Ezekiel uh, to speak against uh, the shepherds over Israel. So God has had put shepherds over his people, and these shepherds in Israel uh, were completely failing. Um, and so God tells Ezekiel, actually says, O son of man, which is pointing forward. Ezekiel is a, a type of Christ, and son of man happens to be the favorite title that Jesus uses to uh, describe him himself. Um, but he gives a list of accusations toward the shepherds and, and, and how there's going to be a strong judgment that's going to come to them because of how they failed to shepherd God's people in the way that God commanded them to shepherd. In fact, they were intentionally leading them astray for their own benefit. Okay? Without going into all the details. Now, verses 11 through 16, which we read this morning, uh, uh, says this. And I'm just going to sum it up with a couple of the verses. Uh, he says, starts off by saying, God, this, God speaking to Ezekiel. He says, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. So here's God saying, I am going to seek for my sheep. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. Verse 16, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the, the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice, right? So we, we read that this morning, but there's a, there's a point to that and why we read it this, this morning, not only because we want to start off with our minds being set on God's Word, but this passage that we study today shows us God going out and seeking and searching the lost, his scattered sheep, and bringing them to himself. That's what our passage says today. God's sheep, God's people, those who have been scattered, abandoned, and lost, and God has promised that he himself will come, will come and shepherd his sheep. He will seek them out. He will rescue them from all the places of corruption and sin and, and darkness. He himself will bring out his sheep from among the peoples and the nations. He will feed them. I love this. He will feed them. He will give them good food. and He'll lead them into good pastures where they can flourish and grow and, and mature. This is a promise that God will fulfill in the Son of Man, Jesus. 
And our passage this morning draws us into a very specific account where we see this language come back, seeking and saving the lost, from Ezekiel 34. And in this passage of seeking and saving the lost, we, we, we encountered a, once again an amazing story of unexpected grace and love, one to which we all should marvel at because every one of us can find ourselves in that same story. Because each of one of us, if you are in Christ, then he has sought you and he has found you. And he has brought you into those pastures to flourish and grow. So let's look at the, the passage this morning. Starting in verse 1. Everybody with me? Starting in verse 1. He entered into Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, I should restore it fourfold. And the Lord said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts this morning to hear, to see this holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. I love this story. I love this story. I love the, the sovereign encounter, the, the divine appointment. And this is, this is probably, out of all the narratives of the whole Bible, you know, all the stories of the Bible, Bible stories, this is probably my favorite of all time. And there's some good ones. And, and it became my favorite kind of in, in recent years of my life. I, I didn't grow up in a church uh, when I was younger, like many of you have. And, and my church experience really didn't start until I was around 14, 15 years old. So children's church songs is something that I didn't learn. I didn't learn Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Before he climbed the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. But it was when my children started singing that song. When my children started singing this song about this squirt of a guy who couldn't see Jesus but wanted to and climbed a, a tree, and you hear those beautiful words coming out of a beautiful little voice of a little child 
Zacchaeus, you come down, or I'm going to your house today. Or I'm going to your house today. Amen. That's when the story really came alive for me. Because there, in the voice of a child, singing of a guy like Zacchaeus, and a Savior like Jesus who still seeks and saves the lost and at the heart of a father, I pray for my children. I love this story because it just tells us so much about Jesus, doesn't it? It tells us so much about the gospel, and then it shows me. It shows you. It's the, the, the beautiful, glorious character of God on, the, on display, but yet in such a real, gritty personal, one-on-one kind of way. And this is a very important passage as well in, in the Gospel of Luke. It's very important because in its, in its placement, if, if you look where we are today in at Luke 19 with this story, this is the last time before Jesus gets to Jerusalem that he is going to have a one-on-one conversation with someone. And in fact, if you look down to verse 28, you'll see in verse 28 of chapter 19 that Jesus is going to be coming into Jerusalem with the the triumphal entry. So so what we are meant to see here in Jesus is this is his last interaction, this last interaction in his earthly ministry. And I think that we're meant to see that there's almost a highlight and a purpose and a point to this is what Jesus' early or Jesus' earthly ministry has been about. It's the last picture of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's not just about meeting the felt needs of people, which he did. It's not just about healing thousands of people, which he did, but rather this last picture of here is Jesus changing the life of somebody who no one expected could ever change. We see a transformed heart. In fact, if you remember the things we've talked about in chapter 18, we see God doing what is impossible. We see God taking a camel and pushing it right through the eye of a needle right here. Because what is impossible for man by God's grace now has been been now made possible. And the good news is, brothers and sisters, this morning, and those who are not brothers and sisters here this morning, is it's not just for the tax collector, but it's also for you too. So so let's let's look at our passage together this morning and, and see this impossible work of God. The first thing that I want you to see is I want you to see the big sinner. I want you to see the, the big sinner, which of course is Zacchaeus in our story. You know what's ironic about this, about this guy named Zacchaeus? Is his name actually means the righteous one. It actually means the, the righteous one. Now, Zacchaeus, the chief among tax collectors in the city of Jericho, 
He is now the third tax collector we've encountered in Luke's gospel. The first one being uh, Levi in chapter 5, which Jesus called Levi to be his disciple, and Levi threw a party for him, and we kind of got the same kind of interaction between those who were grumbling that you're eating with, with sinners. The second time was chapter 18, when Jesus uses the, has the parable of, of the Pharisee and the, the tax collector as they go into the, the, the temple, and then now this is our third time. But Zacchaeus is kind of set apart among those tax collectors because he is the chief among tax collectors in the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was one of the top three tax collecting cities in, in that region of, of, of Rome. And they had some of the, the highest revenues because of their location. And there was a trade route and things like that is going to Jerusalem. And so it had a, a, top, uh, a top revenues for, for Rome. So despite the children's song, as, as good as it is, Zacchaeus, despite his name, the righteous one, he wasn't the cute, cuddly man that sometimes we, our children in a sense, have, have seen him as. Zacchaeus, being the chief among tax collectors, was the head extortionist of the city of Jericho. He was a traitor among his own people. And he did all of that for, for money. Now, the Romans tax their people because that's what government does, right? They, they tax. And, and to maintain a certain level of peace in the Roman Empire, they had to tax. And, and if you want peace, you had to pay for it. And so they would bring these collaborators alongside them that say, listen, we don't care what you tax. You tax whatever you want, but you will give us this amount. So Zacchaeus says, no problem. This guy owes me $100. I'm going to tax him $250, and I'm going to pocket the rest. Pay out some of my cronies, but the rest is going to be for me. This is what they did. So to pay for their military occupation, to pay for the abuse and harsh treatment of the Jewish people, there were these tax collectors. The, the motive for someone to sell out their own people and to be hated by them they were hated, it was because of money, and it was lucrative. They did, they did well, even though they coerced it through threat and fear and manipulation and confiscation. I think the, the best comparison for, for us, unless you've been audited by the IRS, I think the best comparison for us would probably be like a mob boss or a drug cartel. Think of the kind of stuff that they are involved in, the, the unsavory, nefarious things that they are a part of, the underhanded, dirty things that they are a part of. Wealth accumulated, rich, definitely, but immoral, on the, the backs of others' suffering. And here's Zacchaeus, wealthy but immoral and surrounded by immoral and unsavory characters. And again, he wasn't the kind of sinner that seemed to be a candidate for the kingdom of God. He's not the one that you would pick out in the lineup. But if there ever was someone in deep need of mercy and forgiveness, it was him. So back to the text, looking at verse 3 we see kind of the interaction that starts to take place. Zac Zacchaeus 
it says here in verse 3, was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, wait a minute. When do people like him want to see Jesus? When? Why why does he, I mean, he seems to have everything, right? He's got everything going. He's got position. He's got power. He's got money. Why does he need to see Jesus? Jesus was popular and well-known. Maybe that's why he wanted to see the popular teacher that was coming through town. Maybe he heard about how Jesus received and loved and called Levi, right? The other, another tax collector who was, happened to be following him. And yet, maybe it could have been like how the rich young ruler asked Jesus how to inherit eternal life. And maybe it was because Zacchaeus had found in his life and his heart that his wealth and his lifestyle had been completely unsatisfying. Maybe the the pleasure that he once enjoyed and delighted in just became shallow and unfulfilling. Maybe it was because he was weary of the hatred of people and always wondering when the next person would come and that might be the one that's going to stab me in the back and kill me. I think there's something deep happening here when it says that Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. Augustine wrote of his own experience and he said this, he said, you were always present, angry and merciful at once, and he's speaking of God, strewing the pangs of bitterness over all my lawless pleasures to lead me on to look for others unallied with pain. Your goad was thrusting at my heart, giving me no peace until the eye of my soul could discern you without mistake. You see, I think what drove Zacchaeus to seek, that, seek Jesus that day was the very things that drove Zacchaeus, or drove uh, Augustine. That in his life, there was a work of love. There was a work of love being drawn in him. That God was drawing him with what, was, what I would like to call severe mercy. And through misery, and through pain, and through displeasure, and through unsatisfaction, God was drawing him. I think there's something very important that we can say about this. Is that let's not doubt that our God, that our Lord, is not sovereign enough to use guilt and fear and anxiety and shame and unsatisfaction in life as all means of his mercy to draw us to himself. Isn't it God's mercy to just make us miserable in sin? Is it God's wrath to make us happy to be in sin? That's God's wrath being poured out on you. That's the the leash going out in in Romans 1. But it's the mercy of God to make us just miserable and dissatisfied with our idols in order to do one thing, to lead us to the cross. But these are the things that God is using to draw us to himself. Which is why I think Zacchaeus did whatever he could to see Jesus that day. As bumbling as it was, 
as incomplete as it was, climbing a sycamore tree because he was short. He wanted to see Jesus. We may not have the sins of Zacchaeus. We may not bring to the table the same sins as Zacchaeus's. We're not drug cartels. We may not be mob bosses. I don't know. But we're all like him. Because apart from Christ, and apart from grace, and apart from the gospel, are we not all sinners who have fallen short? And, and just like Zacchaeus, we were lost and we need to be found. And there's not one of us that is not a sinner and that is not in need of forgiveness. All sinners, all are sinners. It's just whether or not you are lost or you are found. You don't have to be a Zacchaeus-level sinner to be found, to need to be found, or to be lost. But you can be a Zacchaeus-level sinner and still be found. We all need forgiveness. So, so there's point one, that there's, there's a great big sinner, Zacchaeus, and all of us in need of grace. And yet God in his mercy is wooing us and drawing us to him, himself and sometimes uses those miseries of life. And yet that brings me to my second point, that towards such a big sinner, we see a great love. We see a, a great love. And that love was what God was doing and what God was about to do in his life, and that love was already being shown in priming the heart of Zacchaeus to receive Christ as he walks under the tree. Verse 5 tells us that, that Jesus stopped under the tree and he spoke directly to Z Zacchaeus. You know what's interesting? He knew Zacchaeus' name. <laughs> like, like when he called Nathaniel. Nathaniel, I saw you under the pear tree. What? How do you know me? Zacchaeus, come down. But notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, you can't hide from me, shorty. I know your sin, and I know your heart, and you better believe judgment is coming. And he kept walking. That's not the, that's not the story. That would make a good children's song, right? We can change the lyrics. You're going to hell. Sorry. Sorry, filters. He didn't say that, but what did he say? He said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree because I'm going to your house today because I'm going to your house today. He actually says it once, but the song is twice. I'm going to your house now, no one else wants to be with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus probably got a pretty, pretty cool dig, doesn't he? No one wants to go with Zacchaeus. No one wants to hang out with him. No one wants to be seen talking to him. But that's, a, that's exactly where grace comes in. And this is exactly right here why God's grace is just scandalous. It's, it's scandalous because sinners do not deserve grace. They deserve exactly what I said earlier, what Jesus should have said, should have condemned them. 
should have condemned him. We, no one deserves grace. Sinners do not deserve grace. They deserve wrath and they deserve justice, which is why Jesus got the same reaction from the people in verse 7. How could God love a person like that? And they grumbled and they complained. How could God love them? That is unfair. You know, anyone who does not understand the gospel from a legalist or an antinomian, which is someone who says, I'm saved by grace, now I can just do whatever I want. So from the legalist or the saved by grace, I can do whatever I want. They all look at these sinners and they see God's grace on these sinners and they see the transformed life and they take offense to them. They take offense to transform sinners. And why? Because grace isn't, un, isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. Why is God gracious and merciful to someone like Zacchaeus? Why is he merciful to a sinner like me? Why is he merciful and gracious to a sinner like you? Because of his great love. Look again at verse 6. I love this. God primed Zacchaeus perfectly, as he always does. What does it say? Zacchaeus hurried, and he came down, and what does it say? And received him joyfully. Stunning. The salvation taking place right there. He received Jesus joyfully. God was drawing. And by grace, he received him. And he received Jesus joyfully by grace through faith. Grace was at work and called him and brought him into faith. And it's expressed there in how? Receiving Jesus. And this is the great love of God and how it brings us to him and gives us salvation. But there's more here, isn't there? There's more in the story. Because where God saves, God also transforms, doesn't he? We know that from other texts, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. Right? Transformation takes place. But look how it takes place in this story. Verse 8. After Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, this is what happens. We don't know the time frame in between. It doesn't matter. But we see it expressed. We see transformation expressed. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half my goods I give to the poor. He says, Four times as much I give to those whom I've defrauded. Now what's remarkable about this is that nowhere do we see Jesus to do anything to change him. He doesn't do anything. Listen, he met Jesus and he was changed. And his heart was changed. And this is exactly what we see happening in verse 8. 
In fact, it's what Zacchaeus tells us himself. He, in this little statement of what he's saying, is he's telling, he's like, Jesus, I'm changed. Seeing you has changed me. He's changed him. But what has changed about him? Is the change because of what we see of him giving away his money? Well, that's the outward change. But what was the inner change that brought that about? Well, I'll make it simple. Zacchaeus found in Jesus a greater love where his affections were changed. A greater love. His affections changed from, from money and power and prestige and all that stuff and sin to Jesus. And the proof of that, the proof of that is, was the complete outward transformation that he expressed. Uh, again, the, the love of God changes our hearts. And it changes our hearts from sin and toward him. Repentance is the action that we talk about. It's why we repent. And we repent, we repent not reluctantly, but joyfully. Because his love far outweighs the joy and satisfaction that we might have got out of the pleasures of sin and our idols. And out from the tree, Zacchaeus came. And out from fear and shame, he came. And out of the darkness and into the light, he came. And he was changed. And joyfully he received him. And joyfully he showed how his life has been changed. He was changed inwardly. And it moved him in such a way where we see there was an outward change. An outward change of repentance, where I'm going I'm to give back all the money that I took from people that I shouldn't have done. And then I'm going to give four times back to those who I've, uh, I've defrauded. Now, where did he get that idea? He didn't just come up with that, and Jesus didn't tell him. Where did he come up with four times? Did you know that that was from Exodus chapter 22? That God says that when you defraud someone, you pay back four times. So what's Zacchaeus showing with his new heart and new transformation and his new affections? What is he actually saying? Not just the healing relationships with people he defrauded. But what he is saying is, is Jesus, I want to do what God has commanded me to do. I want to follow you. There's, there's no more powerful way, there's no more powerful evidence of a changed heart than with a new desire to do the things that are hard to do. That's hard to do what he did. But you do them because the love of God has changed you and changed me and has given us a new heart and new desire and new affections. You see, there's no such thing as a person who has truly encountered the love of God in Christ and has walked away from him unchanged. How strange would it have been if the blind man from last week had wanted Jesus to heal him but did not want, to, want, did not want Jesus to be his master or Lord or even follow him. 
And how pointless would it have been for Jesus to continue to cultivate a friendship with Zacchaeus if Zacchaeus would have just been left just as selfish and deceitful and greedy as before? What's the point? See, the gospel in Christ which has for us the good news of the love of God towards sinners, is that it transforms and it changes us. It doesn't leave us the same. Yeah, it doesn't make us perfect yet, but there's an ongoing progression of transformation. But at that moment, we are given new heart and new desires and a new affections for Christ. That leads us into obedience. That leads us into faith, and it leads us into repentance, and it leads us into doing those hard things because that's what obedience looks like. The great thing about Jesus' love is that it transforms. It doesn't leave us the same. And it sets us free to love him and to obey him and then to love others as God has shown us to love. You know, one of the great criticisms that people have against Christianity is that they say it's unpractical, meaning it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything in my, in my life, or I've never seen it really changed in others, other people's life. Again, to, to this point, is if a person isn't changed, if a family isn't changed, if a church isn't changed, then it's not the gospel that's at fault. It may be the message that they are hearing. It may be the false teachers that they are following. It may be the, the, the lost hypocrites who call themselves Christians, and they look at them and think that that's the standard of Christianity. Because Christianity is very practical. It changes us. The very practical we're here on Sunday mornings. It transforms us. You see, this love has showed us deep compassion and love for such a wretched sinner that he doesn't just tolerate him, but he goes to his house, he dwells with him, he eats and he fellowships with him, and this shows the acceptance of him despite what everyone else said. And we too should marvel at this great love, brothers and sisters. Because if there is hope for Zacchaeus, then by golly, there is hope for us. And I think that's the point. That's the, the picture of Jesus' ministry and Jesus himself that and I think God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke wants us to see in this last story of his earthly ministry before he gets to Jerusalem. Because this is the good news. It's the good news, the love of God, that, that God sent his son into the world, that, who took on flesh, and that his love wasn't exclusively reserved for people who, who think they deserve it. But rather, he pursued relationships with, with sinners to seek and save the lost. And, the one, and, and no one would have expected God to come on earth and lavish that kind of kindness and love and grace on a guy like Zacchaeus. Not to mention me, but he did. And that's the only reason why any of us have any hope 
at all. And that love changes us. That love changes us. And you'll never appreciate the great love of God and what Jesus has done until you see that we are like Zacchaeus, sinful like Zacchaeus, that we were as blind as Bartimaeus, that we were as helpless as a child, that we were as an idolater as the rich young ruler, or we are as condemning as the crowds. If you think you deserve Jesus' love, you'll never receive it. But listen to me this morning. If what you want most is his mercy and salvation, then you will receive it as a free gift. And you can receive it today. The third thing that I want you to see this morning is I want you to see the good shepherd. And we've already kind of been dancing around this, and I kind of started it at the beginning of the good shepherd. From Ezekiel, we, we talked about that, you remember. But look at verse 10. We see this summary of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? Just kind of summed up here. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The very reason why salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus that day was because that was the nature and the purpose of Jesus' mission. It's the nature and the purpose of his mission. Because God had loved his people and he sent his son. And despite we and, and everyone else would, would have naturally expected God to do, this wretched sinner and all wretched sinners are, are not outside the scope of his salvation and his mission. He came to come to seek and save those who are meteor-ochrely good. He didn't come to seek and save those who were going to meet him halfway. But he came to seek and save the lost. Those who are outside the scope. Bringing salvation to someone like Zacchaeus. And I love what he says there. He kind of sneaks this Old Testament fulfillment there in verse 9. He says he becomes a son of Abraham. And that's pretty big. Because Jesus here is not talking about lineage and bloodline. He was already that. He was already a Jew. He already had lineage and bloodline of, of, of Abraham. But what he's talking about is he's talking about faith. Zacchaeus, who himself was already a Jew, a child of Abraham by, by blood, but Jesus here is now making a, a distinction that salvation is not based upon lineage, but it's by faith, which is the same for Abraham. Romans chapter 4 talks a little bit about that. You can look uh, uh, there later if you want. Verses 13 through 16 talks, talks about uh, uh, that, great, that great truth. depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on in grace and it will be guaranteed to all of his offspring. So this is what the, the, the good shepherd is, is doing. He's shepherding his people, not in this lineage because they deserve to be a part of the flock because of some kind of... Uh, 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 of uh, physical thing, but by faith. The good shepherd came to seek and to save the lost, which implies that we're lost. Right? I mean, the, the implication is that we are lost, and, and the lost cannot find their way. And so what does Jesus do? What did God send Jesus to do? To 
seek them out. You see that in verse 5 and 6. God was drawing Zacchaeus, seeking and saving the lost. And Jesus went there and looked up in the tree. Sure, Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus, but this is the divine appointment. This is the sovereignty of God, the good shepherd of, what, of God fulfilling his promises from back in Ezekiel 34. This was his mission, to seek and save the lost. God had been moving and wooing and bringing and drawing him in. And even as Jesus was going to Jerusalem, to the cross, think about that, still going. He's seeking and saving the lost. Their paths cross and salvation comes to that house. Again, like I said earlier, the, the camel went right through the eye of the needle that day. I don't know how, but by grace. How else would a camel go through the eye of the needle? God. Because what was impossible with man is possible with God. And that's what the good shepherd does. That's what the good shepherd is, is doing. This isn't the kind of the kind of loss where you miss your turn and then you realize you don't know where you are. And eventually you just kind of find your way because you see something familiar or you turn around. That's not the kind of lost that we're talking about here. Spiritually lost cannot find their way to God unless God is drawing them and God is leading them and seeking them out. And so many people want to get hung up on that particular point but then completely missed the fact that the very reason why God sent his son was to seek and to save the lost. They can miss grace. They get offended again by grace. It's exactly why God sent Jesus. He left his father's side and he left the, the riches of heaven. He stepped into this world and taking on flesh was to find the lost and the wandering sheep. And he's still doing that today. He didn't sit back and wait to see if Zacchaeus would even speak to him. Or for, or for that matter, he wasn't waiting for any of us to aimlessly walk our way through the darkness and find, somehow find him. No, as a shepherd, he went out and found the scattered and lost sheep. He sent his son to live among us and to seek and to save the lost. That's the mission. That's the mission of the good shepherd. Now, we know where Jesus is going. We, we know where Jesus is going. And, and we know why he had to go through Jerusalem, too, don't we? Or go through Jericho, too, to get to Jerusalem. He was going to fulfill that very purpose. The very purpose, the mission to seek and to save the lost would be fulfilled on the cross. This wasn't some side errand. This wasn't something that, you know, you get a text because you're out and your wife says, we need something from the store. We need milk. Stop by and get milk. This isn't a side errand of, of Jesus, but this is, was his purpose. This was his mission. This is why he came to seek and to save the lost, that he would be delivered 
over to the Gentiles. He would be mocked and he would be treated shamefully. He would be spit upon and he would be flogged. And we know that earlier from chapter 18. And he would be nailed to a cross and he would be left there to die. For what? Because he's seeking and saving the lost. People like Zacchaeus, people like me, people like you. In that day, the good shepherd providentially met on the road that day. The short man, Zacchaeus, looked up in the tree and called him to come down, knowing that in a week or so, he was going to climb his own tree. A completely different tree. A tree that would, that where he would bear our guilt and where he would bear our shame. And he would bear our sin and our rebellion against God. And why? Because he was seeking and saving the lost. And through that tree, brothers and sisters, we no longer have to hide anymore. The fig leaves can come off because God has provided a sacrifice that is atoned for the wrath that was due to us. This is the work of the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd seeks the lost, and he finds them, and he changes them. I want to end with this. If we're going to follow Jesus with joy and praise, and if we've been truly transformed and loved, then that, tra that transformed life is going to look like the obedience that we saw in Zacchaeus. But that obedience is not just what Zacchaeus did, but it's being obedient to what the Savior has called him to do, what the Word of God has called us to do. And, and, and in that transformed life, we in those new affections, those new affections are for the things that Jesus loves and the things that Jesus cares about. Well, what are the things that Jesus cares about? We, he, he loved holiness, he loved righteousness, he loved goodness, and he loved what he was doing, his mission. So therefore, what's that mean for us? It means we love the same thing. We love holiness and righteousness and goodness. But we also love the mission. Have we not, too, been given the same mission? To go out into the world and to seek and to save the lost. We, mean we can't save them, but we can share the gospel with them. We can't save them, but God does. And through us, God has chosen through his people to seek and to save the lost. In all the places where we exist in our, in, in our lives, we are to share the gospel. And sometimes when we share the gospel, it's going to be to the rich young ruler who's just going to continually go away sad. Sometimes it's going to be a blind Bartimaeus, and sometimes it's going to be Zacchaeus. But one thing's for absolutely certain, the Lord will save those who are his, and he will draw those who are his. We can be Assure of that. When we share the gospel, we can trust in the Lord. And to ignore the mission that we have been called to do and to pursue is something that we need to be careful of. Because doesn't that put us almost in the same position and place as the people of verse 7? Where we just want to keep people at an arm's length, a judgmental distance and grumble. Like Jesus, we eagerly 
should be looking into trees and cultivating love and sympathy for those who are trapped in their sins. Pray for them and share with them the great love of the Good Shepherd, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us in these things as we see you and understand who we are in light of the, the gospel and the truth that we were sinners like Zacchaeus in need of love, pursued by the good shepherd. We marvel in these things. Help these great truths of grace always be in our hearts and our minds. But also the how with those new affections and those new desires, it, it gives us an affection and desire to pursue the lost, to be on the same mission that Jesus was on, to go, share the gospel, making disciples of all nations. So, Lord, as we respond to these things, would you guide our conversation that it would be glorifying to you and edifying to the body today. In Jesus' name, amen.